Do not forsake me, O Lord. O my God, be not far from me. Make haste to help me, O Lord, my salvation. Those are the last two verses of Psalm 38, which are the psalm, which is the psalm appointed for today, Wednesday, July the 14th, 2021. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. Thanks for being along. We're still in the books of 1 Samuel and uh, Acts, as well as the Gospel according to Mark. We're still looking at sort of what does it mean to walk in, in front of the Lord and the fear of the Lord and not of anything else. And so how do we live our lives uh, in this world in such a way that, that we don't compromise our ability to speak of him? And how do we live our lives in this world in such a way we don't compromise our future as well uh, in eternity? And so how do we glorify him in all that we do and all that we say is the, the main theme of all of this because it all comes down to glorifying him and and that that was the one point and purpose of Jesus's life was to make the father known in such a way that he's glorified on the earth and it's the mission that we've been given as well we're we're to prepare people who are longing for an encounter with the king for the return of the coming king um, to prepare that people to worship him when he comes to to welcome him with gladness and to, to, to long for and to pray for the coming of his kingdom. And so we can only do that if, if our aim is to glorify him and to see him glorified and worshipped in the earth in our day. And so it's, it's our, our responsibility, but also our joyful responsibility to make him known, to, to raise him up in all things, and to set ourselves below him as well as everyone else, to be the servant of God and to be the servant of of uh, other people and that's what it means to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself it's it's to take a role that seeks the best for those two the best for God the glorification of him on the earth as well as the best for our fellow man so and we see that in Jonathan like I said Jonathan's a guy that you just got to marvel at because he is so content with his own role that he's not concerned at all that somebody else having a higher role compromises him in any shape, form, or fashion. He, he's, he's not protecting himself. He's not protecting the role that, that it would seem would be rightfully his, which would be to, to go to the throne after his father Saul has died. And so David is on the run now because Saul has tried to kill him multiple times by pinning him to the wall with a spear. Fortunately, God's looking out for him, and he he was unable to do those things. And Jonathan has been unwilling to believe that his father wanted to kill David. And, And in fact, Saul had said to Jonathan, no, I'm not. David's been righteous, and he's been a faithful servant. And so David, now remember yesterday, he flew, fled to Ramah and told Samuel all that was going on, and then he and Samuel left there and went to Naoth. And so now David flees from Naoth and Ramah and comes before Jonathan and says, What have I done? What's my guilt? And what is my sin before your father that he seeks my life? Well, it doesn't have anything to do with you, David. In some ways, it has to do with the insecurity of Saul. It has to do with this sort of demon-possessed king who, who can't brook the idea of somebody else being raised up, even though he has the title and he was also given the anointing, but he no longer has the presence of God in his life. The Spirit is no longer with Saul, and he knows that. And so now he, he, he's demonized by these evil spirits that come after him and, and cause him to want to come after David. And he said, 
to, uh, Jonathan said to him, Far from it, you shall not die. Behold, my father does nothing, either great or small, without disclosing it to me. And why should my father hide this from me? It's not so, David. And David says, Your father knows well that I have found favor in your eyes. And he thinks, Don't let Jonathan know this, lest he be grieved. But truly, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, there's but a step but between me and death. He said, No, 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 your father's not telling you these things, Jonathan. He, I'm telling you. He's coming after me. He wants to kill me. And Jonathan says, whatever you say, I'll do. He says, okay, so tomorrow, Jonathan, I should be there. It's the new moon, which is a, a time of worship. It's the new moon, and I shall not fail to sit at the table. I should not fail to sit at the table with the king. But let me go, and I'm going to hide myself in the field until the third day at the evening. And if your father misses me at all, then say, David earnestly asked leave of me to run to Bethlehem, his city. For there's a yearly sacrifice there for all the clan. And if he says good, then it's all good. But if he's angry, then know that harm is determined by him. And so he's asking him to come into a covenant with him here to protect David's life. He said, but if there's guilt in me, kill me yourself. For why should you bring me to your father? If I'm guilty, you execute the punishment on me here now, Jonathan, because I trust you. I trust your judgment in this matter. And that's a lot. That's a lot to trust for because David is a, is a, th- a threat, quote unquote, to Jonathan's claim to be the, the heir presumptive to the throne. But Jonathan's laid that aside. And so Jonathan says, no, far be it from you. If, if I knew what was determined by my father that would harm should come to you, wouldn't I tell you? And David says, who will tell me if your father answers you roughly? And Jonathan said, come, let's go in the field. So he takes him into the field and he shows him. He says, now you get here, David. You hide back here. After I've talked to my father, either tomorrow or the third day, if he's well disposed toward David, then, then I'll, I'll send word for you about that. But if my father is going to try and do you harm, then I'll also let you know that so that you may go in safety. He's promising David that no matter what I'll find out, I'm going to communicate that to you one way or another. And he says, may the Lord be with you as he has been with my father, which means I'm, I'm recognizing your claim to the kingship. Because um, he's saying, may he be with you as he's with my father, comma, the king, which is not in there. He said, if I'm still alive, though, show me the steadfast love of the Lord that I may not die. Look after me in the same way that I now am looking after you, David. And don't cut off your steadfast love from my house forever when the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies from David from the face of the earth. And Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, May the Lord take vengeance on David's enemies. And he made him swear again his love by his love for him. For he loved him as he loved his own soul. And people come to some weird conclusions about this. There's some sort of homosexuality relationship here. No, these guys are just friends, and they recognize one another as, as brothers in arms. Um, people who, who reverse engineer that idea of some homosexual sort of thing there obviously don't have great friends of the same sex. They've never been through battle together. They've never been through a war together. And war can come in, in many different ways. And, and so, no, the, these guys, are they love one another in the way that we're supposed to love one another, looking out and wanting the best for that other, even if it means I don't get something in return. And so Jonathan then comes up with a sign and says that, that when this happens, David, you be hiding back here behind this rock. And, and so 
if, if my father is not going to harm you, then I'm going to shoot these arrows and I'm going to have the person who's going to retrieve them. You'll hear me say, go over to the side here and get these things. And if you, if you hear me say that, then you know you're safe. And if you hear me say, no, look, it's gone further than where you are, then you'll know, David, that, that it's not good and you got to go. And so that's exactly the sign that he comes up with on this but but these guys their love for one another is genuine and it's true and it's real and it's wholesome um and so then in 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 the gospel today what we see is is that jesus is again he's moving on he's he went out again beside the sea and the crowd was coming and he was teaching him he sees a tax collector sitting there who's jewish and he says to him follow me and he rose and followed him well the jewish tax collectors were hated because they were representatives of Rome, and they were colluding with Rome to, to defraud Jews out of money, essentially, because they, they would bid on the territory and say, this is how much I think I can remit to Rome based on the assets of the territory that I'm bidding on. And, and then it, anything they could collect above that was profit. So, so they're valuing your stuff, and you're having to pay them a tax just for the, for the simple um, joy of owning it. You got to pay a tax, and so people hated them because they saw them as collaborating with Rome. And so he, Levi Matthew gets up and he follows Jesus. And as he reclined at table in his house, as Jesus reclined at table in Matthew's house because they had a banquet for him, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. Well, those were Matthew's buddies, right? I mean, he didn't he didn't have buddies who were not tax collectors and sinners, because nobody else had anything to do with them. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he, was he Jesus, was eating with sinners and tax collectors, started asking the disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus responds, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. And, and the reason you ask the disciples is because they have to be wondering the same thing. Why are we here? Why are we in this household? We've never eaten with people like this in our lives. We separated ourselves from them. So why are we now sitting here in the home of a tax collector among other tax collectors? And Jesus says, because I'm calling them to repent. I'm calling these people to wholeness and their place in the kingdom as well. And at the same time, because of the time of year, John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. And people came and asked Jesus, why are they fasting, but your disciples aren't fasting? And he gives this powerful answer can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them i mean you're fasting in anticipation of the coming of the coming of messiah um here i am and so my disciples aren't going to fast because i'm among them as long as they have the bridegroom with them they cannot fast the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them and then they'll fast because they're going to be anticipating the coming of the kingdom, they're going to be they're going to be fasting in anticipation of that, and 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 in order to to further the prayers for the coming of the kingdom, and then he gives a couple of parables about uh, the unshrunk cloth on an old garment where there's a tear, and it'll make the tear worse if you don't shrink it first, and then nobody puts new wine into old wineskins because those have already been stretched and they'll burst. And so new wine is for fresh wineskins. I'm doing something new among you. Do you not perceive it? That's what Isaiah's prophecy was. And so they're not perceiving this new thing that's being done among them. And, and the old thing is still the thing they're cleaving to. We're fasting now. And Jesus, is, Jesus could reverse that and say, why are you fasting? I, the Messiah, am here among you. What are you fasting for? You should be feasting because your king has come among you today. 
but but he didn't but he did all at the same time this is the third day in a row where there's been a sign where jesus has shown those who were looking those who were paying attention this is the third day in a row we've seen some sort of a sign that jesus is unique he's the one who forgave sins with the paralytic he's the one the previous day who um reached out and touched and cleansed the leper which shows that he's not a normal human being because you can't convey cleanliness. You can only convey uncleanliness. So Jesus is more than a mortal. And here when he points to, can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? He's saying, I'm here, and I'm the Messiah. You're fasting in anticipation of, but it's a silly thing to do because I'm right here, standing among you. But, but we've, we've got to get over our preconceived notions about what all these things are going to look like. What's it going to look like for me? I'm sure the disciples didn't think what it was going to look like for them was going to be sitting at a tax collector's house and eating. And this is not the first or only time they're going to do that. Because remember that on the way into the city, as they're coming before Palm Sunday, they stop at Jericho. And, and what do they do there? Well, they end up at Zacchaeus's house, who was a chief collector for that that area um, for the taxes for the Roman Empire. And so they're, they're going to constantly spend time in places and with people that they would rather not be around. But, but Jesus is calling them to that kind of life because it's a mission of spreading the gospel to those who need it, to those who are sick, Jesus says. And, and Jonathan, I'm sure that, that growing up, his life looked different than, than he is now living it. He's protecting a guy who is claiming the throne of his father, to which he should rightfully, according to human tradition, be able to lay claim. But, but David is claiming it, and he is supporting him in that claim. Because Jonathan is content in his own being and in his own life. And, and, and Jesus is preparing his disciples for their new life, which, which will call them and bring them into places they would rather not go, including, in some cases, to their own deaths. And so we, are we content in whatever situation we find ourselves? Um, and do we give glory to God in all these things? Can we give glory to God even when we don't occupy the position we think that we, we should rightfully have when we're not as important as in the kingdom or wherever as we think we should be? Can we give glory to God in those instances and, and accept God's will for us? Or are we pouting and hiding ourselves from the world? In the, the, what we see is the converse of that in some ways here in this Acts lesson because we see what happens when some guy is raised to a position of power that, that he is incapable of actually holding well. So remember yesterday, Jesus was taken out of prison after the, he has four sets of guards on him. He's chained and all that, and the angel sets him free. And so when the day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. And after Herod searched for him and didn't find him, he examined his sentries in order that they should be put to death because they didn't have an answer for where was Peter and how did he get away. And so then, then Herod leaves and goes from Judea to Caesarea to spend time there. And, and that's sort of a retreat that was, that was set up to honor Caesar, Caesarea, that, that's honoring Caesar. And so he has gone to Caesarea at this time. And, and the, he was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and we're not told why. He was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and they came to him with one accord, and having persuaded his chamberlain, they asked for peace, because the country depended on the king's country for food, so they needed something from him. And it wasn't his, because it says the king's country, and Herod's not a king. 
He is sort of a viceroy representing the king. And so on that day, he put on his royal robes, took his seat on the throne, and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, the voice of a god and not of a man. Interesting. Um, that they, they, They're flattering him, obviously, to say the least. They're flattering him. Although we do believe that, that there must be something truly good about what he's saying as well. But then an angel of the Lord struck him down because he didn't give God the glory and he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. Um, I've heard Malcolm Gladwell talk about what must have happened here, and then there's, there are other sources which attest to something roughly like this being the end of, of Herod's life, although without the spiritual implication or the understanding of why it happened, um, that, that something did indeed happen to him in a, in a very similar way to what's being described here. And then um, Luke is telling us why it happened. He's not just telling us the details of, of this is what happened to Herod. He says this is why it happened. He failed to give glory to God. And, and that's an important thing. We always need to do that. Whenever, we, um, whenever we've done anything of value, we, we need to, to stand and give glory to the Lord. And I know people think it's trite when athletes do that, when, when athletes will give glory to God for whatever it is that they've just done or accomplished or whatever. But, it, but it's true, and, and it's something that we're all called to do, is we always need to give glory to God. We've been dealing with that, you know, with this whole situation with my son over the last three months, and, and it was easy to give glory to God because it was literally nobody else to give glory to, because even the neurosurgeon used the term miraculous recovery the other day. He knows that he didn't do it. The doctors in the trauma unit knew that they didn't do it because their best efforts at diagnosis and treatment were all wrong. And then ultimately it was God that did it because it was only after God said to me that the word that I needed to pray over will was shalom, peace, rest. That's when he began to turn the corner and to get better and to be healed. And so it was all God all along. Are we willing to always and in all things give glory to him and to be humble and to walk humbly before our God and before other men and women.